Hi, I'm Chris from Messly, and welcome to the pilot episode of the F3 Stories podcast. The goal of this podcast is to share the stories of doctors who've had really exciting, different, interesting F3 years and give you inspiration and confidence to do the same for yours. In this episode, we're talking to Dr. Katie Stevenson. She's got a real passion for medical education and in her year as an F3, um, she managed to get a role as a lecturer in physician associate studies and a clinical small group facilitator at her local university, the University of Plymouth. And she combines all of that with being a locum doctor in her local local A&E. She'll share some tips about how she found the work and what she had to do to get those roles and how she balances all of that with her clinical work as well. Um, I hope you enjoy. Uh, if the feedback is positive, we'll do more of these um, and make the podcast a regular thing. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Hi, thank you, Chris, for inviting me to join you on your podcast. <laughs> um, it sounds like you have had a really interesting and rewarding F3 year following your passion in medical education. And really interested um, to learn more. Um, I think let's start off right at the beginning. Um, You did a master's in medical education at med school, is that right? Yes, that's Um, correct. Was was that always an area of interest for you? So to give you a little bit of background about myself, I'm Katie Stevenson and I am from a family of teachers basically so I've got a lot of teachers in my family teaching assistants um medicine was the row group basically um, <laughs> and I have always been interested in teaching and education as a bit of a sort of add-on ever since I was at school to be honest and I was actually exposed to some of the medical students who came into my comprehensive secondary state school when I was in year 10 year 11 and they did some widening access to medical schools work um so I was first exposed to sort of medical education at a really young age basically as a teenager and when I saw the work that they were doing I was obviously I really wanted to get into medical school but I also realized that I really wanted to go on and do a little bit of what they were doing get back out into the community do some widening access work get into schools do some teaching so my passion for sort of medical education came from this sort of grounding in social accountability and Mm. sort of equity actually so I was very passionate about medical education from school age and then into my undergraduate years where I became involved with the WAM society so widening access to medical school society at my university and stayed with them for actually quite a number of years I was um, with the WAM's committee um, right through until sort of my fourth year um, at medical school and ended up being the president somehow and got involved in oh, lots nice. of different projects and it sort of blossomed from there so my my activity in medical education started at a relatively young age but yeah, I guess following I the shaped, family tradition <laughs> yeah a little bit really without <laughs> without desperately trying to avoid it but it pulled me back in yeah Okay. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. And then tell me a bit about your foundation training, obviously, that's, that's led up to your F3 year. So you're based in the seven deanery, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So fast forward a few years, I've done a bit of teaching at medical school, obviously. I've intercalated in a master's in medical education in between my fourth and fifth year. And then I sort of want to 
get out of the Peninsula Deanery. So I trained at Peninsula with the universities of Plymouth and universities of Exeter. And I wanted to get a little bit further afield. So I went, you know, all those many millions of miles north to (laughs) Bristol. Um, Wow. Yeah. So I was at Bristol for my F1 in 2017, 2018. And then I was, that was at North Bristol. And then for my F2 year, I was at Musgrove, which is in Taunton, which is, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Southwest, it's a town, a district general hospital in a town in Somerset for my foundation year two. And then which we'll get into in a bit more detail later. I'm yeah. now back in Plymouth where I was actually, I didn't mention that I was raised here in Plymouth, went to school here, trained here. I'm back here doing my foundation year three. Yeah. Okay. And what did you, what did you love about that, about your foundation training? What, what did you find more challenging? I think the things that I obviously love probably reflect what lots of other foundation trainees out there love just finally getting that responsibility after how many years they've done medical school five six seven whatever they've done getting out there being able to work being able to earn a living being able to see patients talk to patients actually um just be yourself I feel like as a medical student you're constantly having to put on a bit of an act you're constantly having to sort of perform I mean you still do that as a junior doctor but being able to actually really enjoy that patient relationship I think that's the thing I love the most um obviously the trials and tribulations that come with uh foundation training are common it's exhausting there's a lack of variation obviously you have to do what you've been allocated to you have to go places you might not have wished to have traveled to for example I wasn't particularly hot on the idea of living in Taunton for a year turns out I ended up really enjoying it but you know, there's just, it's it's very rigid. It, you know, you don't have much autonomy over your own lifestyle. So that's yeah. probably something, I'm, I don't want to reflect too much on the negatives, but those are some of the negatives that you've asked for. Yeah, no, those sound like um, quite commonly held feelings, definitely. Um, and did you, did you know that you're always going to have an F3 year? Was it something that you decided fairly late on? Um, how did it sort of come together? I don't think I always knew I was going to have an F3 year. So I'm, you know, I'm currently in my F3 year, with, mm-hmm. you know, go go back a few years, actually. And F3 years were nowhere near as common as they are now. So when I was training at, as an undergraduate, it wasn't something that was really spoken about. So I don't think I knew that it really existed until perhaps my final year at university, foundation year one training. And I think with some of those things that I reflected on earlier, saying some of those negatives that I was talking about, you know, the sort of tiredness of foundation training, you know, yeah. the lack of flexibility, I began to think about broadening my career horizons, basically. And medical education has been this really integral part of my life throughout undergraduate training, um, through choosing to do the master's as an intercalated degree, sort of I wanted to pursue that even further I wanted to take that to the next level and balance that with clinical work as part of an F3 year I wanted Mm. to have more autonomy over my life um, just a bit more freedom have my weekends back have my evenings back have my holidays back Um, I wanted to just yeah basically a lot of the reasons that other people choose to go and do F3s I wanted to learn a bit more about academic medicine as well medical education 
and I wanted to have a bit more time um, building up clinical experience before I embark on training as well. So I think I decided properly to answer your question. I yeah. probably decided that I was definitely going to take an F3 year part way through F1 and then began to solidify those plans going into F2 and towards Christmas time at F2. Yeah, yeah, great. You're, you're, you're right that um, obviously F3 is a, a growing in popularity. I don't think they've released the stats for this year yet, but I think it'll be at least three quarters, um, which is obviously a huge number. Um, I think you're, you're lucky maybe in a way that um, there was probably, because of your interests and, and your master's, there was probably quite a clear... Um, you probably had quite a clear idea of some of the stuff you wanted to do in that F3 year. I know others, others are less sure. And one of the things we're trying to help people out with through this podcast is, is just seeing what's out there. Um, how did you go about seeing what, um, what opportunities were out there? How did you specifically, how did you find out about the role that you're currently in at the moment at, at the Union of Plymouth? Yeah. So it's, I'll, I'll sort of explain what I do as well in a minute because it's yeah, not sure. over, over it's not the it's not the most clear of routes actually so after undertaking the masters in education I became quite probably a little fixated on actually being able to use it at a junior level I think doing a master's so early is incredible you're already equipped with sort of a higher degree in education but also it does come with some drawbacks if you want to pursue full-time clinical training because you won't get that opportunity to use those skills that you've learned as past part of the masters so early on so I became quite maybe stubborn in my mindset that I was going to use these skills before I became a consultant or a GP or fully trained so I carved out some opportunities for myself in F2, I basically was um, given this role of education foundation fellow within the seven deanery. It's a role that they've created for foundation trainees that are not academic trainees, but want to remain involved in education. Other trusts and other um, deaneries have similar positions, but this is something quite unique to seven for having these fellowship positions so early on in training. So I was fortunate very lucky to be selected for this role and they gave me no no actual additional time or money but um <laughs> as with most things in the NHS How funny. but um they did give me a lot of support to undertake um a project of choice so I ended up in in my F1 and F2 I liaised with the University of Bristol because I was there obviously at the time and worked with their clinical teaching fellows to undertake a project teaching case presentation skills to medical students using performance training so getting in actors involved to teach medical students thank you to teach them like confidence storytelling skills acting that sort of thing so we got them involved but because I had done the masters I took quite a scholarly approach to it well as best as I could so Mm. thinking about planning the study design creating a research proposal, getting ethical approval, you know, creating a validated marking tool, marking the students before they did this project, they did this part of their curriculum and then marking them afterwards. So I basically managed to use some of my master's skill during my foundation training 
I was I actually took quite a step back from the project because I was working full time and the clinical teaching fellows thank goodness they ran it and they ran it amazingly and the whole thing worked I just sort of was overseeing the research so to speak and from that point I thought no I do still really want to do this sort of thing I want to be involved in university education I want to continue this I think I'm going to take an F3 and really try hard to get um, an academic position basically so a university position so just to tell everybody I'm, I'm yeah. a lecturer at the University of Plymouth um, and I also locum at the um, local hospital which is University Hospitals Plymouth NHS Trust in their emergency department so I decided I do definitely want to do it this way I want to have you know a solid position with the university and locum instead of getting what would be described as a clinical teaching fellow position and having sort of your clinical hours still pretty much dictated for you um, whether that's 10% or 80% I wanted to be even more flexible and just decide when I work clinically is when I work clinically as a locum would but then be able to work academically and have that recognized professionally with you know not so much the title but the job qualification of a lecturer basically and be in that environment where they can upskill you and train you to be um you know more senior lecturer if I choose to continue yeah yeah and we'll talk a bit we'll talk a bit later about um what you think you'll do next year and beyond um so yeah tell us how how did you specifically go about finding that role what was the application you did did ask that didn't you I went went on off on a tangent um (laughs) So I basically I reached out to some of my previous lecturers, um, small group facilitators who had taught me at an undergraduate level, um, but also at a postgraduate level when I was studying for the masters. Um, it's all within yeah. this. I integrated at the at Peninsula where I did my undergraduate as well. So I reached out to people just basically asking if there was anything going. I originally got involved through. Um, they were setting up a new program here at Peninsula, which um, is the Foundation Year Zero course, um, which has just been launched in September 2019. And that's a widening access foundation course for um, pupils interested in studying medical education, not medical education, sorry, medicine from a widening access background. So I really wanted to get involved in that program initially, as you know, testament to my sort of interest and passion for widening access social accountability so I reached out to the people that were setting up this new program and they got me involved in some of their sort of workshopping days at the university so I took some days of study leave from F2 came down got involved you know just showed my face there were people there like the dean of the medical school um you know there was lots of sort of senior bodies involved in setting up this program and then they basically encouraged me to apply for one of the small group facilitator positions which is not technically a lecturer position but it's um somebody that you know facilitates small groups as many medical schools have small group learning so I originally applied for that position got it fortunately and was able to secure um work on the year zero program which is that foundation program as well as the year two um PBL which is problem-based learning as well as reflective small groups. So that takes up probably about two days of my week. I then just decided on a bit of a whim that this wasn't enough for me. So I applied <laughs> for that over Christmas time of F2, 
got right, it okay. and that was about two days and I just thought actually I don't want just two days academic and three days locuming because just two days being academic it's a bit risky on you know financially if I wasn't to secure many locums for example and I also decided I just wanted to do more um, teaching like this was what my F3 was going to be about I wanted to have about 80% of my time educationally based so in a I can't remember the dead the timeline but they then saw a lecturer position advertised went for it and didn't get it and it was like a bit of a kick in the teeth Mm. it was was really tough really tough interview you know six you know senior academics in front of you asking you know quite it's quite a challenging interview actually um and the application was as well it's an academic cv academic cover letter nothing like i've never done anything like that before um and then i had some guts basically after not getting that lecturer position i think it was the following month a position came out for a lecturer in physician associate studies which is um for those of you who aren't aware of what physician associates do they are um postgraduate students that have basically done an undergraduate degree in a science-based subject or they've worked clinically as an allied health professional it's a two-year postgraduate um, degree that equips you to become an independent medical practitioner or physician associate and I thought actually this is way more up my street than the other lecturer position was anyway I thought okay I'm gonna give it another go it's not very like me either. I was really, really <laughs> nervous about it, especially because I hadn't got that first job. The first like, one, yeah. easy. Um, and I went for it and fortunately got that position. So that's a 0.4 contract. So 0.4 equates to two days two a week. Days, so yeah. I do two days a week on that full time. So I'll work on that throughout you know, the year. So over holidays included, I'll just take annual leave when I want. Then I do the small group facilitation work just during term time. And that's basically a claims sort of contract if anybody's interested in the small print. And then I locum <laughs> around that. So during term time, I'm not going to be locuming much. But then obviously in the summer, as we are now, I'm doing two or three locum shifts a week. Okay. What I think is really interesting about that Katie is how you've had to go out and really hunt quite hard to find that um to find the opportunity um and network your way in meet the dean all of all of that stuff you know apply and then apply again um you know I think it's um if you are looking to build build an F3 year that really suits you um you know that's how that's how you've got to do it. I think, I think that's, that's a story that I've heard a few times from, from different people. Um, and it's difficult and, you know, maybe it requires you to step outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, but obviously the reward is that you, you, know, you have, you have something like you've managed to achieve where you've got, um, you know, a week that's designed perfectly around what you want to do and, and therefore is, is quite, quite rewarding. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love just to just to dwell a second on the interview process. Um, mm-hmm. What sort of skills do you think they're looking for, you know, in that process? And what would you recommend people do to prepare themselves for that interview if they don't have the background that you have and the masters, etc.? So, basically, higher education if you're interested in getting involved in higher education um, 
it is a completely different world compared to medicine. It, it, even though they overlap in so many ways, it feels so far removed when we think about the sort of application process. And I would advise anybody that's you don't need to have a master's level um, qualification to go yeah. on and do the work that I'm doing. I'm working with some clinician colleagues that are currently working on on the program with me that are currently studying for their postgraduate certificate in medical education. I don't know how every single university works. It might be different elsewhere. Um, but what I would advise doing is if you want to take this route and go straight to the university instead of going clinically and doing a teaching fellowship, for example, um, just look at the university websites, subscribe to um, their mailing lists for jobs. All universities have sort of jobs mailing lists. Um, I was only looking in Plymouth because I didn't really want to go elsewhere. <laughs> it might be similar for others. They might have somewhere in mind. They might have contacts at one particular place. But you could reach out and apply to a few, like look at a few different mailing lists and just see what comes up. And I've been really surprised with the amount of job opportunities within the faculty of health. So that's like the whole big you know, that includes medicine, nursing, etc. at the University of Plymouth. And other people might be similarly surprised by what's going at their own university of choice. Things yeah. like LinkedIn, keeping an eye out for jobs that are going out, etc. and other jobs like websites like that. And then looking really closely at their um, job specification and person specification. It's the first time I've ever applied for sort of a career level job that isn't medicine. Obviously, I've had you know yeah. jobs at school and whatnot but they're really different to the medical application process and you just have to see whether you fit the person's specification and even I think this is something I learned from this time round. and we know statistically that women are less likely to apply for jobs if they don't fully fulfill um, the person's specification I just decided to go for a few jobs where I made 80% of the job specification like person's specification yeah. instead of 100% and it paid off obviously so if there's anybody that's a little bit you know unsure feeling like they don't have all the qualifications or all of the boxes ticked don't worry just go for it um also just seeing what looking at the areas that they want you to achieve over the next few years as well so that you build in your application what you've basically I always use that thing I don't know whether anybody else has taught it at school but P-E-E, point evidence explain, where you make your point, um, you evidence it with something that you've done in the past and then you explain why you're going to be good for that organisation. And then I was including things that they wanted me to develop as a lecturer as part of that explanation. So it was basically an academic CV covering letter and then obviously you're invited to interview afterwards. So that's how it worked um, at the University of Plymouth. It would... it it's likely to work similarly at other universities. Um, yeah, so I'll yeah. just go away and have a look there, basically. Yeah, great. That's, um, yeah, that's really, um, really useful information, I think. Um, so you've given us a, a really good breakdown of what a typical week looks like and how you split your time. I'd love to know a little bit more about the specific of what the job involves when you're at uni, um, what you do with the students, um, and yeah try and bring that bring that to life a, a little bit for people that um people might be trying to get their heads around exactly what that job would kind of feel like on a day-to-day -day basis yeah of course absolutely so I am super busy during term time I probably 
I'm going to be honest, I probably bit off a little bit more than I could chew this year, um, especially taking two days as a full-time, like, well, full-time equivalent lecturer, and then, like, two days doing the small group facilitation work. So my days are really completely different. So I'll just give you, like, two consecutive days as an example. So my Mondays, for example, in the afternoons, I'm facilitating the year two medical students for problem-based learning. So we'll meet with the other facilitators face-to-face or virtually of course now we've been running everything (laughs) virtually so (laughs) things did not stop for me during lockdown they just got busier basically so we would meet with the other facilitators um around midday so I get a nice bit of a lion on a Monday morning or I'm probably doing some prep um meet the other facilitators and then I'd run two back-to-back sessions of problem-based learning so I'm there as a facilitator I'm curating discussion I'm listening to what the students are saying I'm prompting them probing them to question each other more deeply I'm getting them to run to time not mess around etc um (laughs) sometimes adding a little bit of clinical value to the conversation as well but not always um I'm there to sort of enable their learning rather than teach them all the answers then right. on a Tuesday, I might be on the physician associate program. So in the morning, I would do similarly with the physician associate students and their evidence, their EBL. So that's um, inquiry based learning. So it's very similar, but it works slightly differently. Um, then in the afternoon, I might be doing clinical case discussions with the year two physician associate students in and around all of that. I'll be working in marking assessments for example so marking essays reflective essays academic essays I might be doing standard setting which is basically looking at um, sort of medical knowledge tests and seeing that they are appropriately pitched making sure that the questions are well written I might be writing questions I might be teaching clinical skills on other days I might be doing simulation it's very variable I'm trying I'm trying to get involved as in as many different areas as possible and then you know I might be doing on another day I might be working with our lovely year zeros um doing small group facilitation with them I get I'm very involved with reflective small group learning which is similar to problem-based learning in terms of sort of a group of eight students get together and they're talking about concepts but this is focusing on the professionalism outcomes and they might be discussing placement experiences reflecting on what went wrong what the challenges were how they might be able to overcome them in the future and what they can use from those learning experiences to apply to their future practice as medical professionals. So I'm involved wow. in all of that, and that roughly equates to about four days a week. But I'm I often end up doing a little bit extra here and there, and then yeah, I'll locum at the emergency department around that basically. Yeah. Do you find it quite difficult to switch back to locuming and put your mind in that, um, you know, in that frame of mind, and then and then come back out of that again, or have you kind of gotten used to that switch? So I never I've chosen specifically never to locum on a day that I'm also teaching for that reason, because otherwise it's it is like it's too much. It's like two separate careers. and Like I can't have yeah. them on the same day and I have to be obviously really careful that I don't pick up an evening shift that finishes at 2 a.m. And I've got teaching the next day at 8 a.m. Like I obviously planning is key. So I tend to keep my shifts separate and I also didn't mention that I had a you said I was very sort of 
organized and I'd planned for this year but I was not I, I'd organized all the teaching bit and then completely forgot about the clinical bit so I applied to locum far too late applied in July of F2 which is way 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 too late so yeah. I didn't actually get my um my contract to locum through until March so okay. I've only been actually locuming since March um and because of lockdown um, because I don't have a social life anymore, I just ended up doing most weekends. So getting back into it after a break was quite terrifying. Mm. But and that change, so that switch of going from like academic me back to clinical me was pretty tough. But I don't find it so much anymore. I think I found the thing that I found the strangest actually, and this is probably just um, only special because of lockdown, is seeing some of the year two students the physician associate students that I've done loads and loads of teaching online with from March until the end of June and they've returned to placement now and I'm seeing them face to face I found that really bizarre <laughs> seeing them in the clinical environment because I was you know it's just like two different worlds have collided um, yeah. but no I, I, I find it all right yeah I find it easy enough to switch between the two do you think it helps your teaching work that you're still practicing? Well, absolutely. I think between, you know, August 2019 to March 2020, when I wasn't working clinically, not through choice, but because I yeah. wasn't organised enough, basically, um, I just did, I, I felt like I was a bit of a, I don't know, I felt a little bit fraudulent, not to say that, you know, non non-clinical doctors who work as academics are I mean I still had the knowledge and I still was able to find the resources but I think having that sort of anecdotal clinical things that you pick up day-to-day in a clinical space and bringing that into the classroom especially for the sort of older years the more clinical years is is really helpful and really adds to their learning and also for reflective small group work it's really beneficial to be able to relate the students experiences to maybe you want to share something of your own or just you can yeah, add an extra sure. dimension to that so of course I think I think they inform you know each other basically yeah yeah that sounds like a really good mix um and then just looking to the future so what are your plans for next um next year for your f4 um if you'll have one from august onwards yeah so i've been sort of I've, I've basically been considering what I'll do for F4 um, for a little while now. And I've decided to keep it pretty much the same, actually. So I've I've enjoyed this year so much, um, just having the flexibility, having the autonomy, building on some of those um, academic sort of skills that I want to continue it, learn more. I'm going to stay on with the university. I'm going to stay on locuming. There's a few other things that I've got sort of involved in as well I've been involved with an for anybody that wants to get involved with medical education I definitely advise getting involved with the association for the study of medical education which is a national body which basically advances scholarship and medical education and as well as medical educators which is another similar body within the UK I'd get involved with them so I've been involved with um, the TASME organization which is the trainee branch of ASME Um, and I've been working on their national committee as a communications rep so I basically run the social media for them (laughs) and I do some other bits and pieces and I've decided I want to because 
if I can tailor my time to have maybe like an afternoon off a week, I'm not there on weekends and evenings trying to do this extra stuff. I'm just doing it within my working week. So yeah. I'm going to try and get more involved with them. Um, I've already started on a few different projects with them. Continue those, follow it up. Um, they've been an absolute godsend, basically. They're so good at helping you network, getting you to understand scholarship within medical education. So check them out if you're interested in medical education as well. Yeah, great. I'll um I'll gather up those links and make sure that Thank make you. sure that we share those. Um, and I think I probably know the answer to this question, but do you think you'll go back into training, or do you think you found a path sort of outside of training that that you think is is better suited to to what you want to achieve? This is a question I've been asked loads actually by academics and by clinicians this year, and. I definitely do want to go back into training. Having that September to March out of clinical work, um, it made me a little bit sad, actually. I really missed it. Um, I didn't miss the awful hours or anything like that. I loved having the nine-to-five lifestyle, but I really miss seeing patients. Um, and I thought I might accidentally fall in love with academia and just want to do that, but not at all. I'm going to be applying for GP training in autumn 2020, so I'm Go, definitely going back into training but I'm currently okay. in the process of looking into less than full-time training um or academic GP training I'm trying to figure out whether I can do similarly again and carve out a little route for myself and stay on with the university and go part-time into general practice training basically and then ahead of that I think I see myself within sort of um yeah an academic role with with the university um but also working clinically as a GP and there's plenty of I've got plenty of role models that's another thing to do actually if you're interested in medical education or any specialty find yourself role models not all you know not all medical educators will want to do what I'm doing some might be interested in simulation some might be interested in anatomy some might be interested in physiology so find those people that are similar to you um, have similar interests and pick them out as your mentors and role models basically yeah yeah that's that's great advice um well thank you so much for your time katie i thought that was really um really interesting conversation i think there's lots of inspiration in there for doctors that um might be in a similar place to where you were a year or two ago and hopefully it's um given a bit of guidance for how people can carve out um a slightly different but um but really rewarding f3 year Thank you, Chris. Um, Thanks so much. And, and all the best to everybody that wants to go and do that F3. Take the risk and enjoy yourself, basically. Yeah.